Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. So I want you to imagine for a moment, <clears throat> you're, you're driving down the highway. You've been out towards like Bryson City, Cherokee. You're coming home, okay? This is... That's your view, right? You're getting close to that almond intersection there. And you're doing about 60. You don't even see him. That's fine because you're doing about 60. I mean, you're, you're, one, you're like in the 1% that's driving 60, right? You're, uh, you're in a league of your own. <laughs> you're driving 60. You're doing 65. You see him. And you glance down, you're like, I'm doing 65. And you might even wave as you go, as you go by. No big, de- no big deal, right? But you see him, and you're like, oh, there he is. And you glance down, and you're in that 70 to 75 range. Uh, just, just think about it for a moment. You feel that, don't you? I mean, you don't, you don't even, some of you here don't even have your driver's license, but you know what I'm talking about. Mom and daddy's like, you know, just popping the brakes. And you glance over, I said this before about a year ago on this topic, but I'm going to say it again, but to stir our thinking a little differently than about a year ago for the 1% of you that remember introductions. As y'all pass each other, you're hoping it's Hunter. Okay. You look like three times, is it him, is it him? Because now watch this, we, give the man a round of applause. Now watch this, we like to have a relationship with people who are in authority if we have potentially went a little too far. Let that sink in for just a moment. So maybe it's Hunter, maybe it's not Hunter, but we're all doing it. You're looking in your rearview mirror. Is he turning around? Now, if that car crosses the median and you see lights trickling, you're like, oh gosh, Lord, let him be gracious today. You're still hoping it's Hunter, he just didn't recognize your vehicle. Now, I want you to think about this now. Why is it, I know some of y'all are new here this morning. This is your first time. He's a state trooper. He's right here. You probably picked up on that. That's his zone. I want you to think for a moment, why is it the last thing on your mind in this moment, whether that's Hunter, whether it's not, why is it the last thing on your mind to just stomp the pedal to the metal? I mean, you would have to be an absolute fool, right? We're not going to, I mean, you're already running 72, 73. Some of y'all go 80 through there. You know who you are. And, and why is it that we ease off the gas, we gently press the brakes, we check the rear view mirror? I think we would all agree it just comes natural, right? Because that person is in a position of authority that I'm not in. 
You don't even really have to think about it. It just comes natural. And if we talked about why does it just come so natural, we would probably all agree it comes natural because I don't want judgment for breaking the law because I know I've broken the law just enough to get a fine, right? And so I hope he didn't see me. I hope his radar gun ain't working today or it's pointed the wrong direction or something so now, I'm pressing the brake pedal because I reverence, I am reverencing the trooper's presence, his position, and his power. Now, let's just dwell on this for a second. I saw him way off. You saw him way off. I'm reverencing his presence because clearly he's right there. I see him, so he sees me. I'm not invisible. You're not invisible. And so his presence gives me an awareness to his position. He's in authority, and I'm not. He's wearing a badge, and I'm not. And so his position of authority then gives me reverence to his power. He has the authorized power to write me a ticket. He has the power to arrest me if I push his buttons. He has the capabilities to do things that I do not have. Y'all follow me, right? His car is faster than mine. And if for some reason I think my car is faster than his, he has a radio to call for backup. He can set up a roadblock that I cannot set up. He calls for backup that I don't have access to. If he gets behind me, he runs my license plate, and then he knows who I am. He knows who I, I can't fake it. He knows who I am. And so we would all agree to ignore his presence and his position and his power would be very foolish. To stomp the pedal and run from him would be even more foolish and only make things worse. I could get killed. I could wreck and get someone else killed. The best thing that I can do in that moment, y'all agree, is just yield to his presence, position, and power, and pray for grace and mercy, right? Yes, sir. I was. You're right. Oh, my tag's dead. Oh, my insurance. Thank you for giving me one ticket, not three. That's mercy. Right? My license is it. All those things. His judgment upon me is going to be less gracious if I get aggressive and start firing back at him. Y'all agree? <clears throat> when we come to the end of Ecclesiastes, we have witnessed a very poetic book of wisdom that's been very challenging but exciting throughout this series. But we've heard Solomon's testimony. We've been reminded that he had the power. He did what he wanted. He went where he wanted. He slept pretty much with whoever he wanted. He bought what he wanted. He sought to assure his own happiness. And then at some point along the journey, and we think about three chapters ago, he revealed to us that he went to a funeral one day and it hit him in a way that it had never hit him. I'm going to die just like the poorest, unwisest man on earth. 
we're all going to face the unavoidable and stand before God. And something, it seems pretty clear that that reality awoke him. And the judgment that he could not avoid stood suddenly opened his eyes to the life that he was living. And now he writes to us with a very climactic closing to this letter to try to help us to see what he didn't see for all those years. And that would simply be, if you want to live a great life, live in reverence to God's presence, his position, and his power over your life. The text closes in a way that is, it's really strong. For those of you that read this week, you're like, wow, that was a really abrupt ending to this very incredible book of wisdom. But it closes in such a way that it's meant to awaken the sleeper because God doesn't want us to sleep through life and miss out on living. It's, it's meant to grab hold of the excuse maker and say, God doesn't accept excuses. He doesn't want you to miss what he's trying to do through your life by just finding the easy way out all the time. And it's meant to call the lost person who's completely avoiding the reality of death to come to the Savior who went to death to buy you. And it's meant to compel and exhort those who are serving God. Maybe this week has been weary challenging, exhausting. Maybe there's times you wonder, is anything good that I do for God really matter? And the text is trying to say, yes, it does. Hang in there, child of God. Don't give up. The end is in sight. It will be worth it. So are we ready to read it? If you're ready, say, let's go. Let's go. Okay. Chapter 12, if you would, please Stand with me in reverence and honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. Verse 13 of chapter 12 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Father, we yield to you in this moment. Honestly, I tremble at the thought of misrepresenting the reality of what your word is communicating. So unless the spirit of God and the word of God illuminate all that you have revealed to me and communicated in a way that is simple and grasping to the heart. It's not going to happen. So we need you. Lord, if someone is here standing but not standing in reverence to you, we need you to do what you can only do and I can't. And grab that person's attention to the life that you have called them to. We ask you to do this and to let your spirit come like a rushing mighty wind. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
If you like to take notes, I, I would encourage in verse 13, maybe just to write right there or to think about this. Fear God, that's reverence. Keep his commandments, that's devotion. If you need, if you're struggling with an addiction or a sin or something in your past is coming back up into your present and it's just challenging you, this text gives you these, the strength that you need. And let me be clear, nothing about the way that we ever try to teach or preach or present God's word is meant to be done in a way that is guilting people to make a decision, manipulating people to make a decision, threatening people to make a decision, dragging people to the altar to make a decision. We just want to proclaim the word of God in the context in which it was written and let him continue to work on our hearts apart from anything that man can say or do. So we're asking him to do that. So if you write right there where it says fear God, reverence, his presence, and just step back and think, I have a relationship with the one who's in authority, if you trusted Jesus as your Savior. The one who holds the greatest position of authority, in Jesus' name, you have a relationship. He's not just trying to pull you over, write you a ticket, and say, have a good day. Slow down. He wants a relationship. So when I think about reverencing his power and what it means to fear God throughout my day, his presence is with me. I'm never, you're never invisible to him. He always sees. We saw that trooper when he was way out there. God sees us before anyone. He always sees he's with us. His position is both creator and savior. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. His name is Jesus. He is sovereign over all of creation. When he speaks, all of creation yields. There's no talking back. There's no fighting back. His position and his power are matchless. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. And we know him. He's working for us as we're devoting ourselves to live for his glory. And so you just, sometimes people paint this picture of God's power like he's in this arm wrestling match with Satan. And they're both just training. It's not in the Bible. What's clear is in the Bible, what the Bible teaches, he has no rival. He will breathe his breath on Satan during the end times and he will crumble like a little child. He can't stand up to God. And, and so there's no power in the universe that can even be compared or matched to God's power. And he's working for us, not against us. So Fearing him is then the strength that I need to be devoted to doing with my life that which has eternal value, unlike the whole book of Ecclesiastes when Solomon is telling us, don't waste your life. If you try to grab life, control life, get a hold of life, plan and control your future and, and your security and your happiness, it will absolutely guarantee your misery. 
He's trying to free us from all those things. And so then I, I look at verse 14 again, and I'm thinking, actually, let's do this. Verse 13, choice. In other words, you and I are given the choice to fear God or to not fear God, to keep his commandments or to not keep his commandments. Verse 14, no choice. You see that? It's like God is inviting us to do what he will not make us do so that judgment is a celebration. So that every work good that is done is this wonderful time in the future of celebrating. And you flip that around, there is a, one of the really strong verses that came up in Ecclesiastes was early on. In chapter 4, you'll remember it as soon as I read it, I'm sure. Whenever Solomon says, Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there's power, but they have no comforter. And you come to chapter 12, verse 14, and there's this realization that's meant to help us say, wow, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. You think about it, all across our nation every year, especially every four years, there are people who lay their hands on the word of God and they get sworn into office and the very decisions they make in which they govern are opposing the righteous standards written on the very word they laid their hand on. And so they do evil because they have no fear of God and no reverence for what it's going to be like to stand in judgment for all the evil and the oppression that they did with the position that they held. Who wants to be in those shoes? You feel that the, there's strength in that. And so with all the things in Ecclesiastes that were hard to understand and un unexplainable, he closes out with a bang that says... Don't even try to get revenge. God can do more in this day than all of us together could ever do to repay the evil for evil in our lifetime. That's relieving. That helps me to not take matters into my own hands in situations that God is not asking me to. Defend the weak and protect the innocent, yes, I will die doing that. But to think I've got to get back at the president or whatever, it's not, it's not our job. God will, God will do that. And so, what I want to do for a moment in praying through this is step out of Ecclesiastes to look at two understandings of fear that are false. Because, I mean, we'll all agree. I mean, I read this to my boys, and they're like, why does it say fear God? And we had long conversations about this. So, let's get some clarity for a moment on, what it, on the wrong type of fear. Because, see, we get to see what Solomon didn't see, and that's a Savior being judged on the cross for our sins, yet he was sinless and innocent. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. And so that's a hallelujah. And so when you get to step into 1 John for just a second and just read a couple of verses. Love, 417 of 1 John, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have 
Boldness? I didn't say that. God did. That we may live in such a way that we have boldness in the day of judgment. I realize I just misspelled judgment. Ignore that. Um, in the other slides. Okay. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So verse 17 is telling us it's possible to live now in such a way that we are perfected and we are the conduits of God's love as we seek to live and love like Jesus, which is a lifetime journey, so that when that day comes, we can look forward to seeing Jesus face to face and then looking back on our lives and talking about it. Now, I know if you've never read that in your Bible, you're probably like, let me check. Let me, let me make sure. And that is a powerful verse. And then it goes on in verses 18 and 19 to say this. Look, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now, let's make, some, let's make sure we're clear here. This text is not overriding Ecclesiastes 12 and saying, because of the love of God, then you should have no fear of God. The text is trying to say, because of the love of God, we don't have to fear or tremble or be afraid at standing before God. We don't have to be fearful of dying and being judged by God. We can allow the love of God to motivate how we live and how we treat people. We can then parallel that with the fear of God that lets us live in reverence to his presence, his position, and his power so that on that day, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's next weekend, maybe it was last week, whenever you and I are feeling tempted, anybody ever get tempted? Anybody ever just feel like you just want to just mouth off at somebody? Anybody ever feel just drawn to do something that you know is wrong and you just feel weak and vulnerable in the moment? It's the fear of God that's trying to say, you better tap those brakes. Tap those brakes. Don't go through with it. That's like mashing the gas pedal. It's the fear of God that says, look, you know, if you go through with that and you say yes to that and you go with them or you look at that for the next 30 minutes or you go and say that to them, you know it's not going to go well. It's, it's not something that you would want to celebrate at judgment. So the fear of God helps us to not cross those foolish boundaries, whereas the love of God keeps us motivated that our life is not wasted. And so it frees us from the fear of dying and trying to control everything. And he says, but by the way, if you see the fear in your life of dying and standing before God, then you've not been perfected in love. God's love hasn't really captivated your heart. Okay? So that's a fear that Ecclesiastes 12 isn't talking about. Let's look at one more version. I call this the parable of the gracious king. Your Bible may call it the parable of the money or the manas, but really it's about how gracious this king is. So I'll paraphrase it for you. It's in Luke 19. In Luke 19, Jesus is soon going to be, uh, it's going to be the week of Passover, and he has this large following, and he says, he begins to tell a story, a story that we can relate to on earth 
to grab hold of how he wants us to live like heaven on earth. And he says, look, there is this king and he had these people in his kingdom. One group of those people were servants of the king. The other group of people were citizens of the king. And the king let everybody know he's going away, but he's going to return. He's going to go to a far country, but then one day come back. And so Jesus is trying to say, nobody understands this, but when I rise from the dead, I'm going to go away to heaven and then return as king. And so the parable goes on, and most of us are familiar with this. Before the king leaves to go to the far country, he gives and then he leaves. He gives the servants money and a command. He gives the citizens an invitation. So the citizens, the parable says, are the kind of people that don't like the king. In fact, they hate the king. They hate his authority. They hate his position, his presence, and his power. They literally are a people that's saying, we'll not have this man reign over us. So they hate his commands. They have no fear of God. But they can be a servant if they wanted to. And then to the servants, Jesus says, the king says, here's something you don't have, money. But you need it in order to do what I want you to do while I'm gone and before I get back. And so the money is symbolic of anything that God has given you in your life in order to help you to serve him and obey his commands. You could list a novel of things right there. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, your family, your spouse, your church family, all the different studies that go on throughout a year in this church. You could go on and on and on. So the king gives the servants what they don't have in order to do the work that he's called them to do and then will judge them by. And he says, do business until I come. So the parable goes on, and we don't know anything about what the servants or citizens do while the, while the king is gone, but then the parable continues, and the gracious king returns, and then he judges. And this is so essential. You see three different people now in the story. You see faithful servants who receive a great reward, wicked servants who experience great regret, and then enemies who experience great ruin. And what Jesus shows us is the faithful servants of the king are simply told, job well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. You took what I gave you. I know you didn't live perfect, but you did with what I gave you my work while I was gone. And so judgment is this big celebration. It's the boldness that John was talking about. It's the Chapter 12, verse 14 of Ecclesiastes that we can look forward to. But the wicked servant, I'm going to read what he said. Whenever the king calls the wicked servant, he responds in this way. And he says, Master, here's the money which I've kept put away in a handkerchief. In other words, I took what you gave me and I... Hit it. I didn't do business with the opportunities that you gave me, the talents and the gifts and the things that you invited me to prioritize in my life. 
And then he says, here's why I did that. It's in Luke 19, verse 21. He says, for I feared you. This is the wrong fear. I feared you because you're an austere man. You're a hard man. In other words, I misunderstood you. I was afraid to do something. So I thought it would be better to do nothing. Because I feared disappointing you. And the fear of disappointing you compelled me to disobey you. Do you see that? That's the wrong fear. We're not trying to be a church where everybody's got to get everything in order. Your, all of your theology's just got to be spot on before you can do anything here. Serve, teach, uh, preach, sing, or anything. We want to meet people where they are and help them to see what God has equipped them to do. And then let God stir your heart and affection and then go do it. Get busy serving the king because tomorrow's not guaranteed. And then he says, bring, um, you know, those citizens that hated my authority and didn't fear God and didn't want me to reign over them, slay them. It's like, okay. We would all agree. We don't want to be the enemies or the wicked servants. We want to we hear those words and be the faithful servant. So if, just let God speak However he's speaking, because now we come back to chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, and we're just going to look at four verses. Solomon tells us in verse 9, here's what happened to me as he concludes this letter, this book. In verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 12, he says, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered, sought out, and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find words that were, to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright words of truth. Here's what the text gives us to think about today in two verses. When you speak, if you could look back on this week, would the words that you spoke to the people that you spoke to and the tone in which you spoke and the motive behind why you spoke and said what you said be what you would want God to judge and celebrate or would it be I don't, I, don't, I don't want God to judge me for speaking to my spouse that way. And so he's, he's showing us this. His life was so dramatically changed by the fear of God and the love of God and the, and the reality of death that he began to do what he had never done before. And that's give serious consideration to his words. So the word pondered means he carefully evaluated rather than reacting. Anybody ever struggle with reacting? Just flying off the handle and just kind of speaking your mind in the moment. I mean, man, this is just being woo, right to the heart. He sought out. So he studied. He didn't speak from emotions. He had something important to say, so he gave prayer and study and meditation to it. Then he said it or wrote it. In other, and then he said in order many proverbs. In other words, he didn't just wing it. When God asks you to do something, he said, don't wing it. Your words take up people's time. And so if you're going to say something, say something worth saying. 
Give life. Speak words that build up versus tear down. Speak words of love, not hate. Speak words of life, not death. And so it's just, it's good for us to pause here and think, are my words acceptable to the Lord? Is there a relationship in your life that God is saying, look, when we stand together face to face one day, I want this to change now so that we can celebrate it as acceptable then. It's, it, the word acceptable means delightful, words that were pleasant, words that impart grace to the listener. And so this, these two verses coupled with the fear of God is meant to strengthen the way husbands and wives speak to each other. You ever get frustrated at your spouse? Okay, y'all with me. It's meant to strengthen us whenever... Sometimes children can just be really challenging, right? You ever said you're sorry to your child? It's, it's, you with me. You got anybody in your life at school or at work that just knows how to press your buttons? He just says, stop and come back. Don't let their sin or their difficulty be the thing that creates words in you that would lead you to a judgment that would not be a celebration for those words that were spoken. So this is heart changing. So I responded this way, let the fear of God produce pleasant words from my mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. And the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books. There is no end and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Okay, what you talking about? Solomon wants us to picture a shepherd. Maybe he's leading ox. Maybe he's leading sheep. And as he's leading them to the green grass and the still waters, he has this staff or this stick and he just prods. Why does he prod? You know why he prods, right? They're getting out of line. You're going the wrong way. And so the prodding is a little painful. The words of God, the teaching and the preaching of the word of God, sometimes it's like, ugh, ugh. But the sheep, we, we want to look at it and say, well, but it's good for the ox. It's what the sheep needs to stay going in the direction the shepherd is leading. It's, this text is meant to awaken the wanderer. The person who is playing church games, putting on a mask, but behind the scenes has wandered so far off. And look, I could fool you. And you could fool me. If we all made it our aim, we could do pretty good about it, right? But we don't fool God. And so we want to yield to that prodding when it's hard to hear in the moment, but it's great for us for an eternal judgment. He says the prodding will then be like well-driven nails. Now, a lot of us, so far, 56 guys going camping in October, we're going to nail stakes to hold our tents down. They're only about that long. But back, what, this, what seems to be the picture in chapter 12, verse 11, is imagine traveling through a desert with this big, massive, heavy tent. And you've got this big dagger, 
and a sledgehammer. And I mean, when, when you set your tent up, it ain't moving unless God sends a tornado through the desert. That's what God is saying. I want your life to be like. I want your life to yield to the prodding and the pain whenever it stings a little to hear it. But so that it yields a heart that is so well established by the word of God that storms come through and they don't blow your life down. That's what God's, because he knows best. So he, in verse 12, he says, look, son, be admonished by these. This is a warning, but it's a loving, graceful, good warning. It's the, we don't want to go through life and say, why didn't somebody tell me? It's a warning that can change the potty mouth of a teenager. It's the warning that can change the young adult that's just wasting life and just spending hours on the weekends just scrolling and looking and talking and just everything is just a waste. It's a warning to those who see the end in near sight and have kind of lost their joy, their hope, and their aim. It's a warning that says, come back to the word of God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. If this used to be your love, but it's no longer your love, come back to it. Because there's more wisdom in this book than all the libraries in the world, the text is saying. Fall in love with the word of God, even when it speaks and the words are hard to hear. So I find these two verses saying this. Let the fear of God prod me in the way that I should go. Lord, jab me if I speak in a way that's misleading to my bride. Lord, give me an elbow to the rib if I speak in a way that crushes the spirit of my children. I would rather feel it now than 20 years from now and the relationship is broken. Do you feel that? And so the text then tells us, come back to driving down the road and just that we all agreed it's natural. The proper response to the book of Ecclesiastes is to live in the fear of the Lord, yielding to his presence, position, and power so that we say, you know, it just comes supernatural. It's not me. It's him. It's the power of his spirit and the authority of his word and the goodness of his character. And somebody says, but how? A lot of you are going to college soon. Some of you are in college. It is so hard. To stand on that campus when everyone around you is doing evil continuously. But you can say, you know what? It comes supernatural because God will judge and reward a life devoted to serving him even if I do it alone. As a church, we want to say, you are not alone. So I would close here. Invite the worship team to come up and just say, if God spoke to you in a way today, this altar is open if you need to meet with him. If you want to talk with us now, we'll play songs for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, for two hours. <laughs> if you want to talk privately when service is over, we will meet and we will talk. If you're here and judgment is just terrifying because you're very unsure of your salvation, we will stop at nothing to meet with you and to go over the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel 
And having that blessed assurance, just take that first step and reach out. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.